Welcome back to episode 5 of the T-Wolves Country Podcast. The Timberwolves are coming off back-to-back wins against the Jazz, and we got a game versus the Rockets tonight. So, I mean, depending on when you're listening to this, you can maybe, um, you maybe know what the result was to that game. But let's get right into this one. I'm going to be breaking down things like the Timberwolves lottery odds, the Timberwolves defense, and a lot more. So let's start with the lottery odds. A lot of people are extremely curious on what the Timberwolves will get odds-wise when the draft comes up, and specifically the draft lottery to see if the Timberwolves can even land their pick for this draft. I've seen a lot of people you know, want this team to lose because they want higher odds, and I simply don't think we should have everybody worrying about that. I think we should be cheering this team to win because when you look at the percentages and how far you really go down, it's really not too worrisome and the odds don't change too much if we keep winning. Like, for example, currently, the Timberwolves are the second-worst team in the NBA. If they win tonight against the Rockets, I would expect us to move up to maybe third, um, possibly fourth, unless the... I don't know if the Pistons play tonight or not. But if we do move up to the fourth-worst team in the league, our odds only go down by 3.5%. That doesn't worry me too much. The next one that somewhat worries me, but I'm still willing to pass it up, is the fifth worst odds in the NBA. I mean, yeah, the fifth best odds in the NBA, fifth worst team. If we move up past a team like the Thunder, who have been losing like crazy, our odds would go down five more percent. But let's talk about what the odds are right now for the team. So say the Timberwolves start to lose a bunch of games and they stay in the bottom three teams at, at that point they will have 40.1% chance odds. That Those are the best odds you can possibly get for the draft lottery, and we'd probably share those odds with teams like the Pistons and maybe the Magic, or actually the Rockets also. But I'm saying 40.1% to land our pick. Um, for the first overall pick, it's a little over 14% max, but I'm not going to speak on picks four and five. Basically, I mean, mainly because the Timberwolves do not get their pick if it does land in that range. So let's talk about the other ones now, though. Um, if we do fall down a little bit, I mean, get up a little bit by winning games to that fourth worst spot in the NBA, the odds would be 36.5%. That's not too much different, obviously. I'm 100% willing to win games to get to that spot. And then the worst odds, in my opinion, that we can get because I don't think we're going to get better than a team like the Cavs, is 31.6%. And those are still pretty good odds. It's really close to one-third um, of the percentage that you can, can get up to, like, to 100. So, I mean, the odds definitely do shift down almost 10% if we keep winning. But honestly, it definitely could be worth it in the future because all of a sudden we win these games, and then we can land the pick. Like, that's two massive dubs. Um, but personally, I would love to get the team moral. I'd love to get the team winning chemistry. I really want to learn how to win this year. So next year, we don't have to learn how to win right away. Because my big worry is that if we start to lose again and lose out of the season and start to tank, we're not going to really know how to win games next year. And we're going to have to get in that rhythm a little bit later. So this is all personally why I am more of a fan of trying to win every game. But honestly, at the end of games, if we lose... I'm not as disappointed anymore because back in January, we still had a lot to play for for the playoffs. 
at that point in time, we just thought, oh, these dudes are going to be coming back at some point. We didn't assume that D'Lo would get out. He didn't be hurt for about seven weeks. We didn't assume Malik would miss uh, four to six. You know, it's just things that we couldn't predict at the time. But now we're in a situation where a lot of people are considering a win-win. Personally, still, I want to win every game. But I'm not taking the losses as heavily anymore. But let's get right into this next segment. So now let's talk about the Timberwolves' defense, which has been actually really impressive the last two games. Uh, against, I mean, actually in both the game, both the games against the Jazz, those first quarters we did not play good defense whatsoever. But the rest of the game, all of a sudden, like our defense completely switched in both games. And obviously the Jazz were missing a lot of shots, but our defense looked extremely improved. And it's really what won us both those games because I believe in both games we only scored 101, 101 points. So I mean, I mean, extra scored 105 in that second game. But if you're scoring 105 points only, and your highest total there, I think that's just a whole defensive game. I mean, obviously we saw a lot of offense from the team, but those were defensive games for us. That was, you know, it's it's nice to see a change because the the previous games against the Kings, they're scoring maybe 125 plus a game against us. And we were still winning some of those games, but our defense wasn't looking great. And the players that are leading the defense I should talk about now are, in my opinion, the top three dudes right now are Towns, Kogi, McDaniels, in no particular order, by the way. The biggest thing I've I've seen change from our defense overall is the hustle plays. I, I mean, we always saw it from Vanderbilt uh, at the end of the season. He would always dive on the floor. His hustle's off the charts, and that and that's the biggest reason why, in my opinion, he's getting good minutes on our roster still. Um, he was out of the rotation for a little bit, but he's kind of worked his way back in, which I'm okay with, even though he's been selling kind of lately, unfortunately. But I really like the hustle plays. You see a lot more of that from Akogi. Akogi has been an absolute game game changer on both sides of the ball. Offensively, I've seen a lot of improvements from him, but defensively, he's still playing like his old self maybe even better, but Carl Anthony Towns, he is becoming a legit defender on the wing. Um, he's becoming better overall defensively, and that gives me a lot of hope in the future. I don't have, like, immense confidence that he can become an elite rim protector. I think he could, but, I mean, I, not every team needs an elite rim protector. I'm Like, when you look at the previous championship teams, you're going to see Every team, you know, having somebody who's protecting the paint. I think Cat can be that guy to an extent. But I think McDaniels, if he continues to add weight, he'll come into that role. Because right now, McDaniels, he's not the biggest guy. So I don't think he's going to be able to handle the centers or, you know, the, the really big wings that are driving up trying to dunk the ball. I mean, obviously, he's shown that he can do some of it. But I'm not going to say that he's done enough to be considered a big rim protector that can win, you know, championships as a rim protector. I mean, but obviously he's a rookie. He's only 20 years old. I think he could at one point. But, yeah, Town's becoming a lot better. Ant is, Ant is still showing flashes on defense. Um, there's points where he's still, like, seeming, seemingly dis, dis, disengaged. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to see that change soon. There was a big play last night where he just did not look involved at all defensively. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe he thinks our other teammates got the plays um, done already, but, you know, the play's really never over when he stops. So we'll see if he can kick it in. I mean, in that first game against the Jazz, he had five 
uh, steals. Obviously, steals isn't the best defensive metric to use, but it's just cool to see that these flashes are coming in a higher capacity now for him. But McDaniels, I, I like Raven about his defense. To me, he's definitely a future all-defensive talent. I think you, I just don't think you can dispute that at this point. He's extremely versatile, and his IQ is really high in my opinion. I was expecting him to, you know, be become more of a foul trouble power forward because he he contests a lot of shots. He contests a lot of shots, but his footing and how he jumps, it's it puts him in a spot to where he's not fouling people and it's like perfect physique and positioning, or I should just say positioning. But I don't understand how he does that. And I really hope some other players on the team can start looking better to like that. The big thing for McDaniels, though, still like I was just mentioned about two minutes ago, the weight. Get that up. I don't exactly know how much he's being, I don't, I don't know exactly how much he's currently weighing, but I really think if he can get that up, you know, it's going to make him much better because then if you weigh more, I think he's going to be able to contest more dudes in the paint because at this point, what's saving him is his really good technique. And, of course, technique's going to take you so far. But there's going to come a point where there's some elite centers and elite power forwards that just bully in the paint because they're that much bigger than you. So, I mean, obviously with time in the NBA, he's going to add weight because there's no way you can't in the NBA. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. But that's the biggest thing for him. But if he can add 10 to 15 pounds this offseason, I'll, I'll be really, really happy with that. If he is someone who doesn't want to add weight, I would still like him to add some, maybe like five pounds. I mean, it will make more of a difference over time because, say, he adds 20 pounds over four years. That will definitely make a difference. But we'll see what happens with him. And I just really hope he can continue to progress because all I see from him so far is an all-defensive future talent. Now let's talk about Malik Beasley and how he's going to fit in this offense once he comes back, because obviously Malik Beasley has been out the last three weeks, and the Timberwolves' offense looked really good, and it's definitely not because Malik Beasley's been out, because he's been, he was overall our best offensive player the first half of the year before the All-Star break, and then his injuries started to come after that. Um, but I'm really optimistic and a high on Malik Beasley. I think everyone else should be really optimistic on him too. I think he fits the offense perfectly. A big problem this season has been, you know, putting up open shots. And that's just for the team in general. I'm not talking about Malik Beasley with that. Like, just hitting open shots. And that's just with what we've had on the floor. When Malik Beasley, I mean, not, not Malik Beasley, but when Ricky Rubio and Josh Kogi are starting for you and Towns is getting doubled every single possession, those dudes are going to be wide open. That's smart for our teams to do because they know Kogi and Rubio most of the time, we're not going to hit those shots. It's really unlikely sometimes for them to hit those shots, unfortunately. But when Malik Beasley comes back, it's going to be that much harder for them. Malik Beasley, he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. He's one of those guys, he's he's kind of like a Joe Harris. He could basically sit in the corner all day and splash threes all you want. I think that's perfect over, around a guy like Towns because Towns, he's getting doubled all the time. So you need dudes around him that can make shots. And obviously for spacing reasons, you don't want somebody around him that's going to clog up the paint. Malik Beasley doesn't score too much in the paint. It's not that he's a bad paint scorer. Like he's still to an extent a threat in the paint. Like he can slash to the basket and cut and he can dunk. 
um, pretty well. He's got great athleticism for his size. But I think I think Beasley's definitely a guy that helps out Towns the most. Um, for DeAndre Russell, he helps him out too because DeAndre Russell is a really good playmaker. He's going to be able to find him pretty easily. He's going to help Anthony Edwards because then Ant can maybe build some confidence and you know, open guys being open to hit their shots because if Ant knows this dude's going to hit a shot, he's going to pass him more often to them. And I think Ant's got a lot of confidence in Malik based off the chemistry I've seen from them on the court, which was actually pretty recent. I don't remember exactly what game it was, but they had a massive play late, and one of them won us a game, won us a game, and they were super hyped after it, and they're all hugging each other and stuff. So I like their chemistry a lot. But let's talk about this type of scenario. This is what the fully healthy, uh, you know, starting lineup look like. And this is why, with Malik Beasley, I think we can go from a great to an elite offense in the future. Maybe not right now. I think you could consider it right now. I think Ant needs to develop a little more, and some other dudes need to develop some other parts of their game more, especially McDaniels, because he's just, McDaniels still seems a little raw offensively. But let's take this for, take this for a scenario. Let's say Towns gets doubled on the wing. Who's he gonna pass to? D'Lo, you can't you can't leave him open. He's having a career shooting year, the most efficient he's ever been this year. I think he's shooting about forty one percent from three. You can't leave Ant wide open because then he's gonna drive the lane on you. And if you do pass to Ant and he drives the lane, he's probably dunking on somebody. Ant can hit open shots. Um, I would assume they do leave Ant open if it's from if it's anybody on that lineup from three unless he's having a really good three-point shooting game. You never know with Ant sometimes. And you obviously can't leave Malik Beasley open. But when Malik Beasley's in the corner, it's going to be a lot easier to leave him open because, you know, the corner is definitely the one spot where people aren't as aware of when you're playing defense. Even the best defenders in the league, they'll worry more about the per, like the top of the key than the um, corner three, obviously, which makes sense to an extent so you just and then the on those plays the defense would probably leave mcdaniels open depending where he is on the floor but things with mcdaniels is he's a 36.5 percent three-point guy that is not he's not an offensive liability from three ricky and akogi are offensive liabilities from three so when this happens it's going to take so much pressure off towns like when malik beasley comes back town is going to get it maybe even two more assists per game. I mean, that's kind of a reach, maybe like one, 1.5 more a game. But I think it's really going to show. And it's not like Malik Beasley is going to need to take 15 shots a game either. He could be satisfied with taking eight threes a game for all of his shots. Like, all he needs to do is shoot threes. He can shoot the two, that's the thing, but he doesn't need to. A lot of our guys honestly don't need to. I would say Towns definitely still needs to because he's a center and you want that paint threat. Or he's just going to get, you know, singled behind the arc. They don't have to double him, really. But I am extreme, I'm super high on Malik Beasley. I don't think you trade him at all, especially with that contract. Like, you got to keep his contract. This team is going to need some money freed up when Ant's going to want his big deal coming off in, you know, three, four years from now. I mean, Dale's going to want a nice deal. Town's going to want a nice deal. And if you want to sign those guys, you got to keep Malik Beasley on his current deal. I mean, I mean, obviously we're going to lose some players. Like I think we're going to lose Jalen Noel. 
soon, in a few years maybe. Um, I don't know about Nazareed. We'll see what he does. But we need to keep this core five together. And I definitely think you can financially because I don't think McDaniels is going to want an extreme amount in free agency right away. I think he might want near $10 million. Obviously, D'Lo and Towns are going to want $35 million range. And he's probably going to want about $25 million coming off of his rookie deal, by the way. Not you know his unrestricted free agency deal, which he'll probably get a max contract on. Unless, you know, Ant plays up to a max contract level during his rookie deal. I mean, so we'll see what happens. But Malik Beasley, he works perfect with the offense, in my opinion. And he's just a guy that you don't trade. I would go as far to saying he's an, he should be um, considerably an untouchable player. But, hey, I, I would I would still listen into some offers. But I think it would be pretty rare for me to want to accept one of them. Now let's get a quick segment going. Who should have the ball late game? So, I mean, this has kind of been a problem for us recently. Um, there's really not a certain dude who's taking over late, and we've been spreading the ball to players that I don't think should be getting the ball in clutch minutes whatsoever. Like Ricky Rubio, I don't think he should be playmaking a lot unless there's a, lot, a bunch of injuries late. I think you can have Rubio out there for free throw shooting and defense. I'm fine with that. I don't think Vanderbilt should be in the game with around six minutes left. That's a mistake I think we made last night. He, We almost lost the game because of some of the mistakes Vanderbilt make, made last night. Like Vanderbilt had a, a, a nice steal and then missed a wide-open dunk, you know. And then the Jazz hit a three right after that. And then Vando turns the ball over and the Jazz score again. So that's, you know, a massive possession overload that just went to the Jazz because of mistakes by Vanderbilt. I think that's exactly why he should not be on the floor late fourth quarter. But over the last 10 games, since D'Lo has came back out late, our offense has been a lot better, obviously, because that dude is iced out late. He hits shots. He really does. And when you have a fully healthy team, I think you have four great options to close games. Malik Beasley, lights out shooter at points. D'Lo, Obviously, one of the most clutch players in the NBA. Towns, his clutch stats are phenomenal. 62% from three, 51% from the field, 92% from the line. He's a phenomenal player in the clutch. And then you have McDaniels, but I don't think he'd be a guy who really does much in the clutch. And then obviously, Anthony Edwards, I think, is a good option in the clutch when he's on. Um, when he's having a worse game or kind of a bad performance, I don't think he's great. But Anthony Edwards, he can score 30 points on any given night. And when he is getting to that 30-point total, I think it makes sense for him to close out games. But if we're just talking about a general game and nobody's really playing better than anyone else, like all of our five starters are playing pretty evenly, I would say you got to put the ball, obviously, in Towns and Delos' hands. I would stick fully with um, those two right now and then obviously work with Ant and Malik in the future. This will probably change, but I I primarily think the playmaker has to be D'Lo late, and just the way that he's been performing is unbelievable. I think Town still needs to get up a lot of shots, but D'Lo in the clutch, he's just hitting everything. It's insane. D'Lo in the clutch has been phenomenal since he's came back from injury before. He wasn't the best. He had one game winner, and other than that, he he was kind of selling some games. 
But when he's came back these last 10 games, he's been nothing but phenomenal. And the last segment for this podcast, we're talking about the Carl Anthony Towns effect. Um, I just added this one on actually pretty late. I was not expecting to do this part, but I decided to add it on because why not? Because I saw a lot of things last night against the Jazz that really said, wow, he's even more impactful than I thought. So this year, we've all noticed it. If you watch the Timberwolves play, Towns has doubled about every single time he catches the ball. And I've never seen him get doubled more than what I just saw last night from the Jazz. First off, I want to give props to Quinn Snyder. I mean, to Snyder. Um, jazz head coach. I think that was a phenomenal game plan he put up in the first half. I think Towns really broke through in the second half, which was amazing to see from Cat because I think he had about six, five points at halftime, and then he ended the game with about 21. So great second half from Cat. He was definitely a big reason why this team won last night, of course, with D'Lo. But the Jazz tried their best they could to contain him, and they constantly doubled him late. But the biggest play that's just in my head and that's standing out to me was with that last play offensively after Conley hit the clutch, very, very good shot from uh, Conley to hit the clutch three to put the Jazz up one with about five seconds left. Um, the, the the direct play Finch had drawn up was to inbound it to Towns and let him work, and I thought that was a great play, but that's not what ended up happening. So Towns was coming off some screens, and D'Lo was kind of working some also, and Towns went behind the perimeter. I don't understand why he was back there. I mean, obviously, he's a great shooter, but I would want him more in the paint, especially when you just need a two to get up by one. So he was about eight feet behind the three-point line, and Rubio fake passed it in. And at the at the at at this time, Conley, he switched off D'Lo and told Gobert to get on D'Lo. And it's not like Gobert didn't see it happen. Like, he grabbed D'Lo, too. Like, he was fully aware that Dilo was there and knew he had to guard him. And Conley was right in front of Towns. So what happened next was Gobert decided to go double Towns, even though the ball hadn't even been passed in yet, leaving Dilo wide open. That's why he had a wide open shot. This just really told me that currently the second highest um, player in the de- defensive player of the year talks, Rudy Gobert, his, his top instinct was to double Car Anthony Towns. Not even worrying about DeAndre Russell getting wide, being wide open. That just really shows his effect, his effect on the game. It really does. And then the next play, obviously, Rubio kind of poked it away, and McDaniels grabbed it right from um, Conley's hands to win it. That was a sweet play, by the way. But this just really shows Town's effect. I could go a lot more in depth with what other teams have done, but I really specifically wanted to talk about that play last night because I don't think people are even talking about it too often. Like, I really think this should be a more talked-about play, and I've been talking about it a lot. I think I've been really the only person talking about it. Um, I don't know if Dane Moore talked about it. He's a top Timberwolves insider. I mean, in analysis, and he has a whole podcast and stuff. You should check it out. It's really good. A lot better than mine, I'll tell you that. But I hope I hear that on his podcast later. But that's it for this podcast. The Timberwolves are going to be playing the Rockets in Houston in just about five hours, four and a half hours, about that range. I'm recording this podcast at 316 Central Time. So um, I don't I don't know when you guys are listening to this, or even if you are still listening to it right now, but that's it for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, 
I just thought I'd come on and break all this down today. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. Peace.